It's Window Nation's semi-annual sale, and it's a big deal. Right now, get 50% off all windows along with no interest for five years plus bonus savings when you schedule a consult today. If your windows leak, get foggy or hot, or you're paying high utility bills, that's a big deal. With Window Nation's semi-annual sale, you can replace your windows and save a big deal, too. Schedule a no-obligation in-home estimate now. Call 866-90NATION or visit windownation.com. It's the most anticipated WNBA season in history. And you know what that means. Court is back in session. Welcome to Queens of the Court, an Odyssey original podcast. I'm your girl, Cheryl Swoop. And I'm Jordan Robinson. All WNBA season long, we'll be bringing you interviews with star athletes, analysis on your favorite teams, and lots of hot takes. Order, order in the court. Follow and listen to Queens of the Court on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Ladies and gentlemen, we're taking the podcast on the road this season, and we want you to come with us. We're heading to Tampa, we're heading to Nashville, we're heading to New Orleans, and maybe a couple other surprises. Thanks to fansofphilly.com, that's P-H-A-N-S, fansofphilly.com. They put all the packages together for us, we're going to hit the road. Set it and forget it. Four-star hotels, direct flights, tickets to the game, tailgates, pregame festivities, and can be a part of our show's as we're there the whole weekend, wherever we are going. Fansofphilly.com. Make sure you use the code BGN so we all stick together and come have fun with us as we cheer on our Super Bowl champion, Philadelphia Eagles, and take over every stadium that we are in this season. Fansofphilly.com. Promo code BGN. Michael Kiss. Hey, somebody has run out on the field. Some goofball in a hat. And Benjamin Solak. I know it's a big night when he asked for honey. He said he wants honey. It's the Kiss and Solak Show. I love those guys. Right here on BGN Radio. You are flying high on the Kissed and Solak Show. This is episode 43, brought to you by the fine folks at BGN Radio. I am your host, Michael Kist of InsideThePylon.com, Bleeding Green Nation. Follow me on Twitter at MichaelKistNFL. As always, I am joined by the best doggone co-host in the game, Mr. Eight Year Streak Without a Bad Day, a Bleeding Green Nation NET scouting. Follow him on Twitter at Benjamin Solak. That's S-O-L-A-K. Ben, how you doing, brother? Oh, every day is a good day to be alive, Mike. Thanks for asking. I'm a little raspy. I've been under the weather, uh, but it's fine. We're going to have a good pod regardless. I've been worried about you. I've been really worried about oh, you. Thanks, we, we were supposed to record, and you were like... Bro, I sound terrible. So, are you fully recovered? Are you still having good No, I'm coming back from it. I was just like gross, sinus, nonsense. On my first day after I was done with classes, too. Drove home from Chicago all day Tuesday, woke up on Wednesday and felt terrible. Uh, And now I've just kind of been bouncing back. I'm just sounding a little bit nasty. But you know what? I'm a resilient guy. What can I say? You can't knock me down that easy. (laughs) Minor setback for a major comeback with a flex emoji right there. That's what we're talking about, Ben. We're getting back in it. And to get back in it, we are going to talk about a tweet and an article series that I am doing for BleedingGreenNation.com. You brought brought this up to me and said you wanted to talk about it. What I asked from people was to rank their top player at each position for the offense and defense just in the NFC East. I excluded rookies, so no Saquon Barkley talk here, Darius Geis, all that. Mm -hmm. Just established players. And what did you find interesting about, did you see any of the responses, or did you have specific thoughts that may have been like outside of the box as far as why you wanted to talk about it? No, I mean, I just want to basically run through it and not necessarily debate it, but I think it's a really fun thought exercise to discuss. I didn't look so much at the offensive one. We can start there. But the defensive one, there's... 
I think maybe like one position that there's just a set answer. And then everything yeah. else is, like, is a legit combo. So it's very cool. So let me uh, let me go through the offenses. The article is up. And you can see this on BleedingGreenNation.com, on my reasoning for it and everything like that. A quarterback, Carson Wentz, obviously is the top player. I mean, there's no question about that. Running back, Ezekiel Elliott. Wide receiver, Odell Beckham Jr. Slot wide receiver. This is where I had some trouble because Sterling Shepard and Jamison Crowder are in the division. I did some extra research for it. Uh, I came away thinking that Nelson Aguilar was the top slot. And Ben, you can stop me if you disagree with any of these. Tight end, Zach Ertz, uh, I believe is the top. Uh, Jordan Reed has just missed too many games. He ha- he's Let's see here. Missed 14 games in the last two years and 28 over his five-year career. That's a 5.6 games missed per year uh, a big reason why i have reed uh, not in that position offensive tackle i went with trent williams uh over tyron smith who's got those back issues jason peters coming off the uh the acl mcl and lane johnson as well which is not a popular opinion i realize that offensive guard zach martin of the cowboys got the top spot did consider brandon brooks and brandon Scherf, but martin is so doggone good at center this one definitely got me in some trouble because jason kelsey is out there but i went with travis frederick yeah that one pissed me off <laughs> well talk to me ben no, i mean i mean i'll put it to you this way i think you you can discuss this one in terms of what you're primarily doing offensively what you're looking for you know if you're a road grading people mover we're gonna run it straight up the gut then you want frederick more so because he's that style of player if you're moving your players around a lot, if you're you know asking them to pull, if you're running a lot of zone concepts, then Kelsey's your guy because he's a much better mover. So you can have a conversation there. Obviously, you know Frederick gets a bump for age, but I don't think we've yet seen from Frederick in his career the year we just saw from Jason Kelsey, even though yeah. Kelsey did it in over thirty. You know what I mean? And and I'll be the first to say I have not extensively studied Travis Frederick. Not the way I, I, I went through Kelsey's game tape this year. But the year Jason Kelsey put together was you know, phenomenal. I, I, I caught so much heat for saying that he was more talented than Carson Wentz in the middle of the season, which was a ridiculous thing of heat to catch. This was in like the height of <laughs> Wentz playing well. And this is Wentz's second season. Let's all chill. Jason Kelsey is arguably the best Philadelphia Eagle last season, right? Just just like whatever that umbrella term of best means. You know, it's, it's very hard to compare a lot of apples to oranges here. But the season Kelsey just put together was fantastic. And to yeah. be doing it at, at his age is really spectacular. You, you can justify Frederick to me very easily, and I'll roll over because I don't really bother with fighting these things. But I would have expected the homer pick from you to go to Jason Kelsey, and I'm upset that it didn't. It's hard to stay objective in things like these and knowing that you're going to put it on bleedinggreennation.com uh, and knowing that the comments and the people are going to be coming after you, and that's totally fine. I, I can I can take that. It's no big deal. But I, I honestly just think that Frederick is, is a more dominant uh, factor as far as a pass blocker and a run blocker. And, you know, out in space, I mean, Kelsey is a beautiful thing to watch, so it's not a knock on him. No, see, because, like, I, I struggle with Frederick being more dominant, like, you know, that that terminology, because I think Frederick's more violent. I think he's more physical, but I think he gets into worse situations and makes more mistakes. Like, you know, to me, to me, dominance alludes to consistency. At least that's how I use the term. Uh, yeah. in, in the sense that he's more dominant, like, when we're talking about Bulls are more dominant than like, I don't know, what's Kelsey, like a leopard or a lion, I don't know, whatever. You know, Frederick's a rhinoceros, right? He's more Correct. dominant in that physical sense. But I don't think he's a more dominant player as far as snaps, snap, snap consistency goes. I think Frederick put it together better. At, he struggled a little early 
in the season. And then after that, he went on like a tear for me and was just catching bodies. So I think that had, has a lot to do with it mm-hmm. for me. So I would agree the consistency for Kelsey throughout the season was better. But let's not act like we haven't seen inconsistency from Kelsey throughout his career. So you kind of taken in the whole picture. This definitely, I, I've said it before, I thought Kelsey played better than any center in the league last year. So right. uh, it definitely no shade at him. What is really cool is this. I would say that easily four, maybe five, probably five. Brandon Scherf is a good player in Washington. Five of the top, like, 16, 17 interior offensive linemen playing the NFC East. And yep. then I would mm-hmm. say comfortably four of the top 12. For four sure. Four of the top eight tackles yeah. playing the NFC East. So, and it's funny because none of these players play on the Giants, <laughs> which is just, you know, fun to think about. You have such a uh, a wealth of offensive line talent in the NFC East, and zero of those players play for the New York Giants. But this, <laughs> it, you know, that's what makes this interesting. Is that I think you know when you look at wide receiver one, like you know Odell. When you look at tight end Zach Ertz, you know there's some good other players in the in the conference or in the division. But this isn't much of a conversation. Uh, Ezekiel Elliott running back is the same thing. Offensive line is there's a very legitimate debate. I think in every single spot. You know, yeah. I, I the most comfortable is giving guard to Zach Martin over Brandon Brooks and, and Brendan Scherf, even though both are, are very talented players, uh, because Martin is just an unbelievable stud of a human being. Uh, and what they're going to do with his his contract in, in Dallas is very interesting. Yeah. yeah, he they picked up his just to update on that. They picked up his fifth year option. He's on a contract year. He's going to get paid buku bucks next offseason. It's the fact that they have Martin uh, entering a contract year and they have there's something else. They have a mitigating cap concern. I can't remember what it is now because I know that the entire Dallas Cowboys nation wants them to trade for Earl Thomas and just Earl, <laughs> who also needs money. It's going to yeah. be very difficult for them in their current cap situation to like bring in Earl and then also re-sign Zach Martin for what Martin should be paid. So like that's what the conversation is right now in Dallas, which this whole Earl Thomas thing is a, is a mess, man. Yeah, and, P- and people are yelling at Earl Thomas because he wants his money and, you know, you're bound to this contract. Well, the NFL aren't bound to their contracts. The NFL teams aren't bound to their contract. They can cut them anytime they want unless you have fully guaranteed money that – contract is literally toilet paper so i don't i don't get trying to come at players for wanting to get paid especially towards the end of the career when they don't have a whole lot left and earl's been kind of dinged up too so i don't begrudge him at all for trying to get his money ben let's speaking of defensive players let's flip it to the defense here so interior defensive line we're talking nfc east again here top players uh, i went with fletcher cox that's the only easy one right there that's just no hesitation. Fletcher Cox, move on. Yeah, exactly. Damian Harrison is nice, but he's not He's not close to the complete package that Cox is. Defensive end, you've got a conversation with Brandon Graham, Ryan Kerrigan, and Demarcus Lawrence. That's a tough one. Uh, mm-hmm. Kerrigan's been extremely consistent. Graham has has really improved upon his game in the last few years and is very disruptive. And he stripped Tom Brady in the Super Bowl. I don't know if you remember that. I heard that happen. I heard a rumor. And then you got off-ball linebacker. I think uh, I think Sean Lee is is my guy right there as far as uh, a top player. Cornerback is tough because there's not a lot of great ones, and I'm in the camp with you that Josh Norman isn't that good. See, I disagree. I think there is a great one. Ooh, okay, okay. So I picked Janoris Jenkins. I don't think he's great. I think he's inconsistent, but I think he's better than what's out there right now. Who's the great one for you? I think Janoris Jenkins is great, and I don't know. I don't know about the consistency Ooh. concerns. I, I have a bit of a thing for feast famine corners. Like, I'm fine if you give yeah. up big plays, as long as you make me some big plays. Uh, hashtag Marcus Peters, one of my favorite players in the league. Uh, and, and Jenkins, I think, fits that mold a little bit. I also think that Jenkins played a lot of last season not at 100%. He started a lot of games, right. and so it didn't look necessarily on field the way it should have. 
Uh, and then also that secondary just generally imploded. Uh, but Janoris Jenkins, we got a, I, I remember a Janoris Jenkins who played in St. Louis, who was simply, you're erasing a third of the field. Like you're just not, there's, you're not putting the ball there. You know, he is, a, he was in the lockdown conversation at that time. And then when he went to New York for money, he kind of fell out of that conversation. He kind of fell out of that spotlight a little bit. Uh, he didn't receive the same level of notoriety. I forget who it was who wrote the Players' Tribune piece. I think it was A.J. Green, who was writing about the five toughest corners up against whom to go. It might have been Doug Baldwin. Mm-hmm. I can't recall. But his first one that he pulled up was Janoris Jenkins with like to make a distinct point of saying, like, we don't talk about this guy enough. Incredibly right. springy, explosive. The ability to stay in the cylinder at all times and just, just frustrating, just irritating, just pesky. That style of corner is, I think, very attractive to me. I think it translates uh, to to covering different styles of wide receiver, right? Which I think is a very, very big thing that doesn't get talked about enough with corners. Is that I feel very comfortable with Jenkins against any archetype, any you know shifty Tyreek Hill outside guy, and then you know New Hopkins the next week, and everything in between. I'm very comfortable with him against those receivers. I think Jenkins is 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 great. I think that yes, there is a conversation to be had with Josh Norman, who's a very good cover three corner. Uh, and there's a conversation we had with Ronald Darby, another guy whose most recent season was a bit marred by injury. But when he was, you know, in his first couple years at Buffalo, he looked to really be a guy who was ascending. Uh, but then Jenkins is, I think, uh, comfortably a step above uh, those two. Okay. Yeah. I mean, and, and I get you there for sure. And like I, and like you said, Jenkins has always been feast or famine. Last year, I think there was a little bit too much famine for my taste. Not enough to knock him that much. Because remember, I had that article for BleedingGreenNation.com that was talking about 40-plus yard pass plays that the Giants allowed last season. They allowed 13 of them, which led the league. And Jenkins and Landon Collins were in on a lot of those, which was surprising because yeah. I thought my they thing, were going to My thing is pieces. like... For a 40-plus yard play, are we talking about, I mean, I guess with Yak, then it could be a different conversation. I think once you clear, like, 15, 20 yards down the field, unless it's a pure, like, cover one, you know, man-on-man situation, very often the the fault doesn't fall even majorly on the corner. You know what I mean? Well, I'm talking, I I immediately thought of, like, 20-plus air yards, whereas a 40-yard play can obviously, like, you know, be a, a catch within 10 yards. So I don't know what I'm talking about. We're fine. <laughs> but yeah, uh, there there was some different struggles between communication between him and Collins. Some missed tackles from Collins, which he kind of struggled with more than I than I thought. Uh, I remember from the season. But we'll move on. Nickel cornerback. I went with Malcolm Jenkins because all the good nickel corners are gone. DRC is a free agent. Kendall Fuller has been traded. Fuller would have been my pick. Patrick Robinson has moved on to the New Orleans Saints. There's no one left ingrained in that position that I have any confidence in. I mean, you could talk about Jordan Lewis maybe, but over the last three years, Malcolm Jenkins has logged over 800 snaps as a nickel corner and has only allowed 0.88 yards per coverage snap, which is doggone good. That's top 10 numbers for a nickel corner. So I went with Jenkins there. And then free safety is hard for me. Uh, I really want to go Monte Nicholson because I really like his game, but he's got such a small sample size, strong safety. Malcolm Jenkins, again, man, he can play every freaking position. That's what I learned about doing the defensive side of this thing, man. You use Malcolm Jenkins in a variety of ways. All the hats he wears, the intelligence yeah. that he brings to the game. He's a doggone good football player. We, I, it, it's my favorite stat to talk about. Malcolm Jenkins is probably the best nickel corner in the NFC East. I think you have to spend two seconds talking about uh, an incredibly athletic and improving Byron Jones in Dallas. For sure, but here's the thing. He plays in the nickel. Go ahead. He, he plays in the nickel too, but he also plays 
safety and they're moving him to corner. So I'm not, I wasn't sure where to slot him because right. Byron Jones had a doggone good season last year. Not a lot of people are talking about it. So I would agree right. with you there. Well, in the same way with, with Jenkins, what you call him and how you use him are really two vastly different things. And Byron right. Jones has been a guy who's been a, a nickel man coverage guy in recent you know games to the Cowboys. That's happened. Uh, but I think it's comfortably Jenkins. I think free safety, yeah, the answer is Nicholson. Um, simply because Darian Thompson in New York is not good at football. Jeff Heath in Dallas is not good at football. And Ronnie McLeod in Philadelphia is pretty good at football. But Monte Nicholson was more impactful for Washington than than McLeod, I think, clearly, uh, Mm -hmm. in my opinion, at least. So uh, Nicholson, which feels like a weird one because he's a fourth-round selection last year. We played really well. Uh, and, you know, he's he's a viable. And then, yeah, strong safety is Jenkins. And like I said, my favorite stat to talk about is Jenkins just took the crown for nickel corner and strong safety, and he spent the plurality of his snaps at linebacker. Right? Like, that's <laughs> what he brings 42%. to your team. 42%. Right, yeah. exactly. He played, uh, uh, you know, linebacker, uh, safety, and nickel corner, and, and, like, outside corner. Those are the four places that PFF tracked him or whatever. And mm-hmm. he played the plurality of his snaps over 40% at linebacker. That's That's where they put him. Uh, as far as his alignment, and yet he's taking nickel cornerback crown in the NFC East, right? So this is the sort of player we're talking about. He's such a fun, just a fun character on and off the football field, man. Best best kicker. What do you think? I don't even I, Okay, you got to tell me who the other three teams' kickers are. There's Dan Bailey, who had a bad year last year, but I think he was struggling through some stuff. If I'm not mistaken, I don't know. I don't you know what's through this? It's enough. Jake Elliott. I have a Jake Elliott jersey. I agree. I don't care. <laughs> it could be three Adam Vinatieri's in, uh, each on the other three teams. Nine total yeah. Adam Vinatieri's. It'll still be Jake Elliott. My man, Jake Elliott. The inspiration. The only NFL player <laughs> I am larger than, Jake Elliott. Yeah. Here, here's what I wrote. Fact. Jake Elliott was the most accurate kicker in the NFC East in 2017. Fact. Elliott had the most field goals made over 50 yards in the NFC East. Fact, Elliot was mystifyingly bad at extra points. Yeah. Let's not focus on that. Fact, Jake Elliott hit the most game-winning 61-yard yes. field goals in the NFL last year. That is correct. And he made a big one, the 46-yard make in the Super Bowl to help close that yeah. out. So shout out to Jake Elliott. Okay, before we get into punters and all that crazy stuff, let's shift our focus here. Because we are going to be doing another Eye on the Enemy. And this time... It is about the Atlanta Falcons. So eye on the enemy, Atlanta Falcons edition. In case you haven't heard our previous segments of this nature, this eye on the enemy series, we have done the entire NFC East. Uh, We've also done the Los Angeles Rams. We have done the Minnesota Vikings. Who was the other team that we did, Ben? I feel like there was one more. New Orleans Saints? The New Orleans Saints. That is correct. So we continue through with the contenders. We're not going to be doing every team because some teams aren't good at football and really aren't going to threaten us. Uh, But I think this is one of the last ones that we do for this series unless we get some suggestions out there for some other teams that we really feel uh, comfortable and confident talking about because we don't want to talk out our butts. We do a lot of research for these. So with the Falcons, eye on the enemy. Let's start with the offense. This offense was an offense that was impacted by the loss of Kyle Shanahan obviously, which any offense would be if your head coach is Dan Quinn, right? And your offensive coordinator has a higher blood alcohol level than me at any given time. It's Ooh. not that they were bad. I don't want to put it out there that like that, that, that fourth down play, right, uh, against the Philadelphia Eagles in the playoffs was just like a microcosm. They have a fullback lined up at wide receiver, 
And, and even some of the play calling decisions right before that, like the, the shovel pass comes to mind. It was just a mess for them. And it rears its ugly, ugly head in the most inconvenient situations for them. And I have a hard time trusting this offense. And it's definitely not due to the talent. And I'll wrap this in some praise for Matt Ryan because I feel like he laid a couple eggs last year, but overall he played very well in 2017. And while it wasn't the crazy year that he had in 16 under Kyle Shanahan, I don't know why he catches some of the flack that he does. Uh, Ben, are we on the same page on this as far as Matt Ryan being hashtag actually good? I didn't know that like the Matt Ryan hate was real. I didn't know it was a thing. I don't remember exactly what it was that brought it to light. I'm pretty sure it was the name your top five quarterbacks in the NFL. And I said, you know, okay, so Brady, Breeze, Rogers, easy. Mm -hmm. And then I put Matt Ryan and Russell Wilson. I put them in that order. I said, Matt Ryan, I think he's a better quarterback than Russell Wilson. And then people were upset with me and thought (laughs) it was important to tell me about that. And I said, I don't really care. Uh, Matt Ryan is exceptionally accurate to all three levels of the field. Matt Ryan is a fantastic pre-snap quarterback who regularly makes the correct decisions. Here's a fun one. Uh, and this has been a big conversation about Ryan's 2017 season. 14th in the NFL in terms of interception percentage. So uh, right around the middle as far as starting quarterbacks go for how frequently he threw interceptions. How many of his plays were turnover worthy? This charting by PFF. Uh, he had the lowest percentage in the NFL. It was all tip balls. He had terrible interception luck, but yeah. go ahead, Ben. I, I yeah, agree. No, they gave him the second highest grade out of all the quarterbacks, which, you know, <laughs> PFF, you know, people say, oh, I, don't, I don't believe what they do. Okay. Well, it's not hard to divide how many interceptions a quarterback threw by how many attempts he had, which is how they get the interception percentage. And then a turnover-worthy play is something that, like, I chart, like other people chart. And so could this ball have been intercepted? Yes or no? And there's obviously a bit of a gray area there, but that's a pretty eddy steady binary situation. And he was the lowest, right? We're talking about a guy who simply turned the ball over at a rate far, far, uh, you know, ballooned, massively inflated from what he was actually putting out on the field. You tag that with some difficulties with, with a new coordinator uh, who learned as he went through the season and then, you know, kind of regressed a little bit in the playoffs, but did not start out very strong. And yeah. you all of a sudden have a, a Matt Ryan season that does not accurately reflect his talent level. And I think it's very important to understand Matt Ryan is unquestionably, unquestionably at this current juncture in his career, better than Carson Wentz. And I, I, I think that's very important for us to Like, Carson is a very, very good quarterback. And it's fun to talk about how good of a quarterback Carson is. And I like Carson Wentz. Yes. Matt Ryan has been a consistently top five quarterback in the league for easily three plus years. Yeah. And, and 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 people say, oh, well, he has one MVP caliber season and Carson Wentz has one MVP caliber season. I have no idea how MVP caliber seasons became a stat. Like, what <laughs> is that even a thing? <laughs> Matt Ryan is, is, is you know, uh, Matty Ice is just a consistent, cool, regular, week in, week out. You get, you know, delivered on time what you expect from Matt Ryan. He is a very predictable and high-level player at the same time. That is rare. That's valuable. He just got a hundred freaking million dollars for it. So you can know it's valuable. People like it. And we need to start acknowledging that, uh, you know, among like Minnesota, you know, people talk about their roster being very strong among Los Angeles, even Philadelphia, Atlanta gets the check mark in the quarterback column. Matt Ryan is a very, very good player. All great points, Ben. 
I, I would definitely would agree that Matt Ryan is one of the top quarterbacks in the league. So uh, for sure, I'm not sure I have the stones to say that he's better than Carson Wentz on this show. I'm winking at you very at hard. Benjamin Solak, S-O-L-A-K. Listen, That's right. Carson played 14 <laughs> fabulous games. Matt Ryan has played roughly 45. I agree. All right, so we'll move on to uh, to the running game here for, for the Atlanta Falcons, the other part of the game for them. I want to show love to Devonta Freeman because we here at BGN Radio, uh, totally in awe and very uh, appreciate the contribution as of Alshon Jeffrey and Brandon Graham, the the plays that they made while playing with injuries. And Freeman deserves some of that same appreciation for having a productive 2017 while playing through MCL and PCL knee sprains uh, on the first year of his five-year deal. He still averaged 4.4 yards per carry, seven touchdowns, added 36 receptions. Ben, I did an evaluation of him last summer, and I love that the way this dude plays and he's gotten the plotter label before from some people that don't know what they're looking at. And it's so far uh, off Wait, base. Somebody called Devonta Freeman a plotter. Yeah. Yeah. Why? Probably some idiot like Fuse view or something like that. Let's that fight him. Yeah. I've already, I've already fought people over that. So they obviously don't know what they're talking about. And look for, for Freeman, Last year when I did his evaluation, I'm talking fringe top five back conversation when I watched mm-hmm. him. That's how high I am on him. And then you throw in Tevin Coleman, uh, who despite having the balance of somebody with a persistent inner ear infection, is very good in his backup role. He added weight last year and brought some physicality to his run. And you've got one heck of a one-two punch in Atlanta. Uh, one that I wish offensive coordinator Steve Sarkeesian was better at utilizing. I get that they had six-rounder Wes Schweitzer, I believe is how it's pronounced. He was starting at guard last year for them, which wasn't optimal. But they bring in Brandon Fusco, Brandon Fusco, uh, this year to help the run game. I think that makes a difference. And a healthy Freeman definitely makes a difference. I can see this running game being better this year. And just as far as their scheme goes, so we kind of put a bow on what we're looking for here when you watch them. This is an inside and outside zone running team. That's where they make their money on the ground. And, in fact, they ran more outside zone plays with 219 than any other team in the league. They averaged 4.5 yards per carry as a team on those concepts, which is in the top 10. But I would like to see a little more effective variety from them. Uh, they don't run traps. They don't run counters. Uh, they were bad at gap schemes last year, and they were disappointing on power, even though they they rarely used it. But e- either way, Ben, if you run zone that well, uh, there's not a whole lot of reason not to get away from it. Uh, and I wonder if you see it like I do, that this team can be more effective pounding the rock this year with the addition that they had, the upgrade that they have at guard and getting Freeman back healthy. Yeah, let's talk about adding Fusco because I was talking about the Atlanta roster on Twitter the other day because I was asked the top three rosters in the NFL and I put Atlanta second behind Philadelphia's. And then I said, listen, uh, this roster is very similar to what it was uh, when they were up 20 to three in the finals of Super Bowl 51. They returned nine out of 11 offensive starters from that Super Bowl roster. Not even talking about the preseason nobody's injured roster, from that Super Bowl roster. And the changes are Calvin Ridley's in, and then Fusco. And then it's seven out of 11 defensive starters. So when we get to the defense, we can talk about that a little bit more. And I said, adding Fusco, uh, that, that that's an upgrade over what they had with Schweitzer. And then I learned that everybody thinks Fusco's the exact same player he was in 2014 with Minnesota uh, when he was booty cheeks. Fusco went to San Francisco for a year, Kyle Shanahan, 
and played well, Mike. He played yeah. quite well. First, he beat out Joshua Garnett for the starting spot. That was supposed to be Garnett's starting spot, and Fusco took it. Uh, and now he he's and, and as you alluded to, he's always been a better run blocker than he is a pass protector, and mm-hmm. he's never been a a guy who's an insane athlete out there. But he's got far improved footwork from what I thought we ever saw with the Vikings. And he's got, I think, a far better technical understanding of what to do, especially on zone concepts when it comes to, uh, you know, leverage and maintaining aiming points and creating creases. He's a clearly more advanced mental player than he was, which is what happens when you're in the league for, for a few more years. And so to me, Fusco clearly is a starting caliber offensive guard in the NFL. He's not overwhelming. I'm not saying he's, he's world-changing. But Schweitzer wasn't, and Fusco is. And so we got a clear upgrade. And yes, I think that's absolutely going to be a huge thing for them. The other thing is that Atlanta's offensive line, uh, you know, when you've got Jake Matthews and Ryan Schrader as your starting tackles, both of them a little bit of younger players, years are going to help with that. And then you've got Levitre, Mack, and Fusco. It's a very strong interior. Yeah. Right? I really like what I see there. They have... Uh, last year's fourth-round selection, Sean Harlow out of Oregon State, who I was a really big fan of on the interior. He's backing up there inside. And then they've got Tyson Bryo, uh, the young man out of Denver. I believe he was a second-round selection. Uh, Denver eventually moved on from him. So they've also got good young depth as well. As You know, Schweitzer remains on the wa- on the roster, and he's obviously got starting experience. They've got good-looking too deep on that offensive line. Right, and then you, you talk about Devonta Freeman, who's a, a stellar back. Tevin Coleman is one of the best change of pace backs. We didn't even mention Ito Smith, fourth-round selection from this year out of Southern Miss, who is the most jitterbug of all the jitterbugs in the world. And you can be <laughs> sure they're going to take some Tariq Cohen ideas yeah. from some Chicago and try to implement those little gadget plays. You have no reason to not be able to run the ball very successfully. Right, the only the only logical way you wouldn't be is if you're throwing the ball all over the place, which you very well have the the possibility of with Ridley, Sanu, Julio, and Matt Ryan. I think Ridley, Ridley, Sanu, and Julio, Mike, that that you know, uh, it's tough with Ridley not having played a snap yet. But I think we're gonna look back in in 2019, following the season, and say that's a top five wide receiver trio, right? That's no. bold. That's bold right there. You know, you lose Taylor Gabriel, that's no fun. But but. Ridley, man, is a very, very talented slot receiver who is ready to produce right now. Mm-hmm. You know, you talk about how old he is. Well, that means he's ready to produce right now. He's going to step in. It should be very comfortable immediately. Sunu is one of the better number two receivers in the league, and then Julio is a top three, pl- a top three player at the position. He's sure. a very strong, you know, three set. I would love to see. I- I'm going to be very interested to see how they use personnel because you're going to have those three on the field. You're going to have at least one back on the field. They've you know, they've got uh, DeMario Richard, they've got Daniel Marks, you know, they've got fullbacks on the roster. The tight ends are Austin Hooper, you know, Logan Paulson, Eric Saubert, Saubert, however that is. That There's not a lot of inspiration for that fifth spot. So I'm going to be curious to see how they roll things out. You know, Hooper is probably makes the most sense, is the most traditional. But I would love to see some 20 personnel. Give me Freeman yeah. and Coleman on the field at the same time. Coleman can go be a receiver. He can go play in the slot. I think it'd be a lot of fun. Yeah, and it's something not a lot of teams use a lot. Uh, the 20 personnel, I think, is only used like league-wide, maybe 1%, 2% of the time. Uh, I would definitely expect to see a lot of 11 personnel. Man, I had Calvin Ridley as wide receiver one. Uh, I didn't care about his age. I didn't care about his testing. That wasn't relative to his skill set. He's going to win on the ground. He's going to crush it alongside Muhammad Sanu and Julio Jones. I mean, just like you said, the most ready, very polished. People are talking about his testing. You watch him in the drills, his his speed outs, the way he's able to maintain speed through cornering because his technique is just so 
freaking good. Uh, he's going to win in the NFL right away for sure. Ben, anything else on the offense before we flip it over to the defense? Because I think we've established that they uh, definitely – uh, have the potential to take a, a step forward this year and maybe get back to, if not the level that they were in 2016, pretty doggone close to it. If they've if they've got competent coaching, I don't think. Yeah, I think that we covered the offense pretty pretty well there. I just want to reiterate, Sanu Jones and really sucks. Like you look at that. <laughs> what do you what do you you're, you're gonna, who are you you're gonna cover play, who with? You're gonna play base nickel, right? Yeah. And so now you're looking at Devonta Freeman against six man box on wide zone. Yeah, you're gonna run wide zone with the with Devonte Freeman. Who's one of easily a top four outside zone runner in the NFL? Oh, for sure. And you're gonna run, you're, and you're gonna be, you're gonna have a six man box, and so he's got to make one guy miss. If that, it's not great, man. It's an issue. And he may not even have to because that backside end may not even get touched. Like it's it's right. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Right. If you <laughs> if you don't close it, if you leave it open, you just tell Freeman to beat the backside end, then it's five on five. You got yeah. a problem. Yeah. So they're gonna be a fun offensive uh, offense to watch. Maybe uh, too much fun. Uh, for the Eagles' sakes. Okay, flipping it over to the defensive side of the ball. Uh, these are big years for, and we'll keep it on the uh, the defensive line for right now, but big years for Tack McKinley and uh, and Vic Beasley. Vic dropped off a bit, possibly due to adding some extra responsibilities and coverage and possibly due to a nagging hamstring injury. But this is a big year for his pocket. And, and then you've got Tack, who didn't receive a whole lot of snaps. I'm not sure that Dan Quinn really trusted him to execute his responsibilities last year, which isn't a surprise after you watch Tack McKinley mm-hmm. uh, bungle through all the field drills at the NFL Combine. I don't know if you remember that, but it was it was pretty funny. The man could not take direction. It was <laughs> bad. Uh, but he should be a more integral part of the defense now. Uh, ben, just right out of the gate, do you buy or sell these two as being a top-ish tier tandem? As edge rushers, Ugh, I'm I'm not. You know, I'm <laughs> selling top tier because we've okay. got way too many good edge rushers to say that. I'll, I'll I'll put it to you this way: we always expected better tack in like year two, year three than year one. For sure, I think before he was even drafted in Atlanta, it was listen. You know, Tack McKinley has got an incredibly explosive first step, uh, and Tack McKinley can bend a corner like most you know most guys can't. He also has no idea what's at the end of his wrists. He doesn't know what they are. He's not sure. He doesn't know who put them there, what they do, how they work. You got to teach him that. It's difficult. He also, you know, doesn't have a, you know, a great understanding of, okay, when an offensive tackle does this, I do this. When he shows me that, I did that. He didn't have the mental game yet. And so, you know, M- McKinley is always going to be a guy that you want to get in your building as a coach to build him up. Uh, but he's not, you know, he's not going to be a, a year one and maybe even a year two heavy producer. They played Beasley at Sam last year, which was just dumb. Yeah. I didn't know. Inexplicable and incomprehensible, inexcusable. Uh, and thankfully, that should be over for the rest of time because Duke Riley is very good at football. And yeah. Duke Riley, Duke Riley, Deion Jones, Devondre Campbell are your starting three linebackers. That's Fast. silly. <laughs> that's so, so, that's very silly. That's yeah. absolutely nuts. Now, they benefited greatly from having Don Terry Poe. Uh, defensive tackle, uh, undrafted or not undrafted, uh, unrestricted free agent out of Kansas City who came in last year. He's gone now. And so the question they have to answer, really, this is Atlanta front seven as a whole, is can we play at this low of size in the NFL? Is the NFL ready to bear this? You know what I mean? Because right. we're moving can this they, direction. Can they, keep, can they keep bodies off of their linebackers? Because that's really what they have to do right. with the way that their linebackers play. And it's even the sense of, 
you've got that. And then the other, like the alternative strategy is, can Riley and Jones specifically diagnose fast enough to beat all offensive linemen to the spot? Right. right? These, right. Are the, these are those, I think, the two main questions you're asking. But what is really impressive about Atlanta, because you got to worry about the defensive tackle spot. That's that's where my biggest concern is. Well, you know, Grady Jarrett, obviously fantastic player, but he's a bit undersized as well. Deidre Sanat, University of South Florida. They go and they get him in the third round. It's fantastic value. It's exactly the sort of player they need. And in the third round, he should step in and be a starter by the back half of the season. Maybe For not sure. right away, but he should. Even he, he can win it in camp. I'm fine with that. But I expect him by week nine to be the guy, right? And this this comes to the fact that Dan Quinn and Thomas Dimitrov regularly are on such a fantastic uh, wavelength in such a great harmony when it comes to drafting, especially on the defense. They're always, they always seem to be one step ahead of where they're going to have that need, right? Like Beasley's playing the Sam linebacker last year in part because they don't know if they have a Sam backer. They draft Duke Riley. He steps in at Sam backer. Now we can move Beasley back to where he needs to be, right? All right, we're, we have, you know, a Tyber Rubin and, and Don Terry Poe who are free agents. We go in and bring in Dedron Sanad, very similar body type, very similar player to Poe. Well, here we go. They bring in uh, Foyesede Oluwakan, the, uh, the the safety backer out of Ooh. Yale, right? Who's in the exact same mold as a Duke Riley is. And now he's there. He's backing up Deion Jones at the mic. Okay, well, mm-hmm. we we're potentially losing uh, Jalen Collins, you know, that, that corner he, outside, inside versatility. He's a great athlete for issues. We bring in Isaiah Oliver with a second round pick. They're, they always have the answer, especially on defense in their draft. I, th- I don't think any team drafts on one side of the ball as well as Dan Quinn. And Thomas Dimitrov do on defense. They're just flooding this place with talent. There's so much good youth on this side of the ball, Mike. And it's shocking. What's what uh, I alluded to it earlier. Seven out of 11 defensive starters returned from that, that Super Bowl 51 team. Right? We got uh, Tack is a newcomer. Shelby, uh, Derek Shelby is technically a newcomer in the sense that he was injured during that Super Bowl. And he's playing different positions. Then it's Jack Crawford, that defensive tackle, I think Sanat's going to beat out. And it's Desmond Trufant, yeah. who went out and won a starting cornerback job. Originally was, was backing up at this point. He took it from Jalen Collins. They have so much talent across the board, man. It's unbelievable. Well, let's talk about that secondary since you alluded to it. You've got Keanu Neal, Ricardo Allen are your safeties. It's a big year for Allen. He might get a challenge for that free safety spot from DeMonte Casey coming into his second year, even though that that challenge may not result in less playing time for him this year. Uh, rather, their long-term plans, because like you said, they're very good at planning for the future. And I think right. Casey is a guy that can challenge. Uh, at corner, Desmond Trufant and uh, Robert Alford are your presumed starters. They drafted rookie, like you said, Isaiah Oliver from Colorado, who I really liked. That gives them the the ability to play around with what they want to do at nickel with no set starter right now, same situation in Philadelphia, kind of like the Eagles. So, and it also gives them quality depth with Brian Poole in the mix as well, uh, who, who got significant playing time for them last year. Ben, I was looking at the different positional previews for this group, uh, and I, I think it's I think it's solid, and, and and I love the way Keanu Neal plays the position in particular. He's a he's a fun watch. But I came across an article on a site that will remain nameless, and a writer that will be spared from uh, from adding. But they called Justin Bethel incredibly fast, and it just it just bothered me. I scouted Bethel for the scouting academy last summer and that and that's that's Justin not what I saw. Bethel 40 time. This is yeah, our uh, this it. is our producer. 458. That's not great. Yeah. 
Exactly. And when I watched his tape, I mean, I, I saw a guy that was not fast. And, and I actually wrote an article for a previous site where I was like, when it, before the Eagles played him, I said, play Torrey Smith this week. He's going to get a deep touchdown against Justin Bethel. They should go directly at Justin Bethel. And the Eagles went directly at Justin Bethel with Torrey Smith. And it turned out to be a touchdown. One of my better calls of the year. Just pat myself on the shoulder. Boy, anyway, like- I had to get that out. <laughs> it's, it's not that important. He's a special teams ace, though. And, and that's really it. So, Ben, I think this group is decent. Uh, maybe overall, I'm not, I'm not real sold on the corners as of yet. Who don't you like? I'm, I'm not big on, on, on Allen. And I don't think Trufant is like, like a top tier, going to get you excited type of thing. You know what I mean? Right. I think, I think, Trufant's, I think Trufant is like, as far as like, if he's like, if he would, you call their number one corner, then I don't think he's, he's above league average. I think right. Brian Poole is, or, or Robert Alford, excuse me, is a strong number two corner then. You know what I mean? And if you were right. to flip it. Then Robert Alford is a below average number one and Trufant's strong too. So they don't That's have that, I mean. that lockdown guy, right? And then Poole is a, a good slot. He's not a great slot. He's not, you know, he won't be, his name doesn't belong with, you know, like Kendall Fuller or whatever and Nickel Roby Coleman and, and Patrick Robinson's one season. Poole is a solid guy, in my opinion. I, I, here's my problem, Ben, with, with the defense as a whole. And you talked about it before with this the size issue, keeping bodies clean, losing to Terry Poe. Uh, those linebackers, like you said, are going to have to diagnose so quickly that they can stay clean. That's not going to happen all the time for them. Uh-huh. The secondary to me isn't elite. I think Keanu Neal uh, is the most enticing one from that secondary. I really love the way that he plays. But I think that secondary is just average overall. If those two edge rushers who we talked about if they don't come close, I'm not expecting them to be the top tier, but if they don't come close to the top tier, I think you might have some issues. I, I think there are ways to ga- to gash this team, and they don't have a trump card to answer it outside of their linebackers being, being doggone good in coverage and creating turnovers that way. If they are not hot in that area for a stretch, I think this defense can really struggle. I hear you. I, I get that. I think I'm definitely a couple of notches more a fan of this secondary than you are. I think okay. when I look at this secondary, the only player who I look at and I say, hmm, liability, is Ricardo Allen. And Allen's in a contract year, and they want Casey to replace him anyway. So, right. you know what I mean? So, that might be something that they have to address, you know, looking forward as far as, you know, does Neil play? Neil's listed on their depth chart as a free safety. Neil's a strong safety. And Allen does more free safety stuff. Do they have to address that? Find a better compliment for Neil's game, perhaps. You know, if Casey doesn't doesn't come out. But to me, I you know I agree. I don't see an elite player on on in that cornerback room. But I see players who can who can pull it off. What I think we can we can say, in my opinion, about the way that this defense is built, you can't spread them and shred them. This, like it, it, the most anti-spread right. and shred defense in the league is this defense, which Correct. we got to talk about. Like that's a very real serious thing because you, the elite offenses you're going to see in the playoffs, Los Angeles Rams, who only put up 15 points against them in the Coliseum, cough, cough, yeah. Philadelphia Eagles, who only put up how many? It was 10. No. So they only gave up 13 to the Rams. The Eagles scored 15 to beat them. Yeah. Right. Those are offenses. You're not going to. You know, see the prolific, those are the two most prolific offenses. And in the playoffs, both on the road, Atlanta held them to a combined 28 points for eight quarters. Now, counterpoint, the Rams 
were obviously shook. They gave up some turnovers with that punt return game where Farrell Cooper couldn't get right after being very good for them that season. They had that week off. They came in rusty. They were inexperienced. Nick Foles was starting, didn't have a good first half, and then went on a went on went on it started his tear. But I do see your point as far as it spread him and shed and and, and right. And it's true. Him. Well, I'll, I'll put it to you this way: Atlanta started out the season four and four offensive struggles that like we talked about play calling. They ended the season six and two. And then they went one-on-one in the playoffs, right? Beat Los Angeles in Los Angeles, which that Los Angeles team was really good. And they beat them there, right? And so on that back half of the season that we're talking about, right, that that eight-game stretch where they won six and lost two to make it to the playoffs, as a wild card, remember, like they were on the bubble. They gave up more than 23 points only once. It was in Seattle to Seattle right at the beginning of the run. They gave up 31 points. But after that, uh, Carolina twice, uh, they had Minnesota. They had New Orleans. They uh, they had Los Angeles. They had Philadelphia. Never gave up more than 23 points. Mm. This offense should be able to put up 24 points on a given Sunday. That's a good point. To me, that's where we're at, right? Yeah. And they, their biggest they, – they had some defensive struggles in the beginning of the season. They were regularly giving up mid-20s, right? And then they were able to tamper it down. It's very difficult to sh- spread and shred this defense. What, what I like about this, what I think the other half of the conversation is, is the only way that you can beat them – as a team that loves to attack on the outside and loves to spread, is if you have an offensive line that can move. And the only team in the NFL who I think has that offensive line is Philadelphia. So really, everything yeah, is fine. Don't worry about it. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, when, when I look at this front seven and the way it's constructed, with all of that speed, and I say, how can an offensive line possibly hang with these guys if you're consistently running wide zone looks? Well, you need to have the athletes Philadelphia does, and nobody else does. So it's, you know, who cares? It's okay. Ben, the last time we did this, I asked you a question. And it was right now, shot out of the cannon. You got to take the Vikings or Rams in the playoffs today. Mm-hmm. You took the Vikings. I took the Rams. Now, the other team that we did in this series is New Orleans Saints. Shot out of a cannon, Ben. They play in the playoffs right now. Neutral site, Saints or Falcons, who you got? Atlanta. I figured as much. You picked them to win the division, right? Yeah, I do. I and, and, and to me, what it comes down to is I expect a grown adult man who is an NFL offensive coordinator, his name is Steve Sarkeesian, to be better at his job than he was last year. And that like that's the biggest projection. The biggest weakness on this Atlanta team is offensive coordinator. Okay, it, it to me that to me that's clear. Yeah. I I call it, it's the second best roster in the NFL. That was my take, and I said it a couple episodes ago. I think they're the second best team in the NFL. I think they're the second best team NFC. You know, in New England, whatever. Right. It all comes down to things got very unimaginative and very plain in 2017, especially in crunch times like we talked about. And and, and if they can't find a way to resurrect some of that imagination, resurrect some of that creativity and that cutting edge stuff that they saw with Shanahan. I mean, you're, you know, Peterson proved you can out coach a lack of talent. You can do it. Oh yeah. By the very same token, you can under coach a a, a wealth of talent. And that's, that's, that's where they are. That's the big question for the Falcons to answer. Let's look back real quick. This is, this is a new one. Do you believe if the Falcons beat the Eagles in the playoffs, don't everybody freak out. I know what happened. Eagles won. We went on to play the Minnesota Vikings in the NFC Championship game after the Vikings had that crazy miracle. Uh-huh. Do you think the Falcons beat the Vikings? I think they do. Yeah. So referencing the stat I just brought up, that would have made the Falcons 8-2 and two over their last 10 games, including two road playoff games. Going Hot. into Minnesota. Hot. They had played Minnesota week 13, right? At home, mind you. 
And that, if you remember, that was that 9-14 game that was just a stinker. Like, it was, oh, yeah. game of the week, Fox, blah, blah, blah. And then it was just like a goose egg, right? 9-14 was just lame. Was, yeah. Yes, I think they would have beaten them. Because yeah. after you play a team like that and you came with the ball in them, you kind of throw out the, 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 the game plan and you refresh. I think they would have come back a lot stronger. It's very difficult to beat a team as good as that Atlanta team was twice. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So, yeah, I think they would have beaten Minnesota. And then we would have had Atlanta New England part two. Are you kidding? Huh? That's where I was going with it. Yeah, that would have been that would have been pretty cool. That would have been pretty cool. But, you know, Eagles got in the way. The reigning Super Bowl champions. Right. No, that's part, of, that's part of the conversation around why I think Atlanta. It's like, oh, the NFC is going to be crazy. Minnesota, New Orleans, Los Angeles, Philadelphia. Nobody mentions Atlanta. We forget how close Atlanta got because yeah. immediately following that Eagles-Atlanta game, was the Minnesota game that ended the way it did. And that was the storyline that week. And then you had Philadelphia smack Minnesota to the ground, and that's what we talked about. And and there was a lot of storyline. It's the NFL playoffs, of course there is. There was a lot of news cycle, and there was a very well, – uh, there was a big lack of conversation that was if Torrey Smith doesn't knee a football and if Julio Jones doesn't, like, you know, kind of slip whatever happened there on that last play. Yeah. It, that was a, a game that, you know, really tipped on a couple of plays. Huge what-if situation. And we missed that. That Atlanta was really very, very close to being, you know, to me, the NFC champion. Could you imagine living in an alternate universe where the Eagles lose that game and you're an Eagles fan? I can't. I can't. That'd be whew, too much. Knowing what I know now, knowing this joy that I yeah. know now. <laughs> let's never talk about this hypothetical ever again <laughs> all right ben that's all we got for today would you say goodbye to the gentle listeners let them know you love them oh gentle listeners of course love you guys listen this has been the kisten solak show as per usual brought to you by the fine folks at bgn radio uh, i've been benjamin solak on twitter at benjamin solak that's s-o-l-a-k He's been Michael Kist on twitter at michael kist nfl that's k-i-s-t we have wrapped up uh, the Eye on the Enemy series. We believe we have addressed the five big teams now uh, in the NFC as far as Minnesota, New Orleans, Atlanta, Los Angeles, and yeah, the Philadelphia Eagles. We talk about them sometimes too. As a result, <laughs> we're looking forward a training camp uh, still about a month away. And so we'll just continue writing out with you guys the rest of the NFL offseason, trying to cycle then into the 2018-2019 NFL season. Only fun stuff that really remains uh, is the Supplemental Draft, which has a couple of interesting names. I have an article up on BGN about those. You guys can go check that out. Uh, and then, of course, as OTAs wrap up and players do silly things, we'll be able to talk about that as well. But pretty much, welcome to the dead zone. Uh, we would love to talk about whatever it is that you guys want to talk about. Maybe do some mailbag episodes. Maybe talk some you know wide-ranging scheme sort of things. We get those questions all the time. Uh, but whatever it is that you guys want to cover, we will cover with you. And as the rest of the show is here at BGN Radio, we're sticking with you all the way, 12 months of the year, covering the NFL. We all we got. We all we need. Fly, Eagles, fly.